0: today on After God's Heart.
1: Paul says, I've, I've told you this before. It's, it's maybe not the same sermon, but I've told you this before. In fact, Paul says, I want you to know this. This is something that's important for me that you know. I've told you this before. I'm not running out of sermon material. It's, it's important for me to say this to you. And not only that, Paul says, it's a safeguard for you. This is safety. I need you to know this because there are dangers out there. This is a safeguard for me to remind you of the preeminence of the gospel. This is a safeguard for me to remind you there are dangers to our faith.
0: Welcome to After God's Heart with Dr. Darren Biles, author, professor, and pastor of Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. They say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Today, as Dr. Biles continues his series from the book of Philippians, we'll learn from the Apostle Paul what was the highest value in his life. More than anything else, Paul wanted to gain Christ. He gave up pursuing what didn't matter to seek what ultimately did. Dr. Biles?
1: What's the most valuable thing in your life? Maybe it's a possession, a relationship, or even a position. Today, as we continue a series entitled To Live as Christ, we'll see how Paul reveals for us the most valuable thing in his life and challenges us to seek Christ as the treasure for our own. Open your Bibles again to Philippians chapter 3. It's a message I've entitled, The Surpassing Value of Knowing Christ. So by show of hands, how many of you can explain to me cryptocurrency? Raise your hand. It's about what I thought. I've read just enough about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to make me really confused. Decentralized, and I, I don't even understand some of the terms that are used. I don't understand how this electronic device or code somehow translates to value. I can't figure out how that code is valuable today. And the best I can figure from every source that I have seen, when I've Googled the question, why is cryptocurrency valuable? They've all said basically the same thing. Cryptocurrency is valuable because we've decided that it's valuable. I mean, that's really the answer. But when you think about it, that's really the answer about anything of value. Why are baseball cards valuable or Beanie Babies? I don't know what you value in your life, but the reason it's valuable is because you've determined it has value. And those things that you and I ascribe that level, that highest level of value, are those things that really control our minds, that control our thoughts, They control our priorities. I want you to stop for just a second and think, what is it in your life that is of greatest value? Is it a a possession? Is it a position? Is it a relationship? What is it in your life that is of highest value to you? And I want you to keep that in your mind as we listen to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 this morning as Paul talks about what is of value to him. Now, if you brought your Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. I want you to hear Paul's testimony, perhaps resonating with your own, I want my life to count for what counts. I want my life to matter for something of significance. So Paul is going to explain what is of highest value for him. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 1, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of false circumcision, for we're the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God, who take pride in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Although... I myself could boast as having confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I have more reason. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, These things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish so that I might gain Christ." may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if somehow I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul begins this section with the word, finally, now, you might find that a little bit interesting because we're only halfway through the book. Some of you are thinking that's an old preacher's trick. I've heard that one before. A you know, preacher gets to a certain point in his sermon, finally, and then got two or three more points and goes on for another 10 or 15 minutes. You've heard people do that. That's not really what Paul is doing here. Paul's not confused about the end or decided to write more. No, what Paul is doing is he's actually using a word that highlights what he's about to say. The book of Philippians is about joy. The reasons that we have joy, where to find joy in your life. And so when Paul begins, finally, my brothers, I want you to find joy in Christ. What he's saying is, I want the highest, the greatest, the the chief source of joy in your life to be Christ. Rejoice in Christ christ that's what paul is saying i want you to find your joy in christ and then paul says now i've told you this before now paul's not run out of sermon material he's not repeating sermons just because he didn't have time to prepare and he is saying some things he said before years ago i was serving as a pastor in west texas we had a little old lady in the church who had a, an awful habit, she would write the date and the name in her Bible margin when I would preach it. So several years before I became pastor, I was a guest at that church and I preached there and she wrote down the date, my name, when I would preached there. And then years later, God called me to serve as pastor there. And I happened to preach on that same text. And she came to me after church and said, pastor, you preached that sermon before. And she gave me the date. And I said, God bless you buy a new Bible. Paul says, I've I've told you this before. It's, It's maybe not the same sermon, but I've told you this before. In fact, Paul says, I want you to know this. This is something that's important for me that you know. I've told you this before. I'm not running out of sermon material. It's important for me to say this to you. And not only that, Paul says, it's a safeguard for you. This is safety. I need you to know this because there are dangers out there. This is a safeguard for me to remind you of the preeminence of the gospel. This is a safeguard for me to remind you there are dangers to our faith. There are some out there who would choose to undermine your faith. There are people out there who don't share your faith, who don't rejoice in your faith. There are people out there who would undo your faith. And so I want you to be careful. This is a safeguard for you because there are some people out there about whom you need to beware. And he uses some strong terms calls them dogs. Now, this is not like a pet dog. This is not Fido that he's talking about or your favorite pet at home. Paul's talking about a derogatory term here. Beware of some who are dogs. Dogs in that culture were wild preachers. To, to call someone a dog was a very demeaning kind of term. So Paul says, I want you to beware. there are dogs out there. There are evil workers, not just confused people are evil workers who are out there. There are false circumcision. I've told you this before, but I'm saying it again because I want you to be careful. There are some dangers out there that you need to be aware of. And so Paul says, I want you to know what's the difference between what is false and what is true. They're false because they they talk about a different gospel. They talk about adding things to the gospel, but he says, we are the true circumcision. We are the true believers in God. Why? Look what Paul says. Here are three things Paul says. We're the true circumcision, first of all, because we worship in the Spirit of God. We worship in the regenerating power of the Spirit of God, in the convicting influence of the Spirit of God, in the, in the knowledge that comes through the Spirit of God. We worship in the Spirit of God. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't know Christ. We worship in the Spirit of God. But notice also, Paul says, not only do we worship in the Spirit of God, we take pride in Christ contrasting what others might take their pride in. We take pride in Jesus. We take pride. Our glory, our boast is in Christ. And then finally, Paul says, we, uh, we have the Spirit of God. We take pride in Christ and we put no confidence in the flesh. Now, here's where Paul takes a little diversion. Paul's going to kind of He's not drifting off topic here, but sort of a long parenthesis to explain this point that he's making. We take no confidence in the flesh. What does he mean? What he's saying is we don't believe that there's anything that we can do to earn God's grace. The grace of God is a free gift from him through faith. There's nothing that you and I can do or there's nothing that you and I are required to to do. We take no confidence in the flesh. Now, Paul says from here, if somebody wants to talk about taking confidence in the flesh, I'd love to have that conversation with you. So Paul says, let's just think about this for a second. If you want to talk about taking confidence in the flesh, look what Paul says. I could have confidence in the flesh. And then Paul gives a list of seven things about his life that really defined his life. They marked his life before Christ. So Paul says, if you want to talk about having confidence in the flesh, I too could talk about having confidence in the flesh. Let me tell you about the rituals of my life. I was circumcised on the eighth day followed all the plan, followed all the rituals. Now, Paul didn't do that. That was mom and dad. But I was circumcised on the eighth day, followed all the rituals of our faith. But not only that, notice what Paul says. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. My rituals were right and my race was right. I was of the nation of Israel, not just someone who bought that citizenship. Remember, he talked about that in Acts chapter 22 when he was being beaten and Paul says, I was born a Roman citizen. I was born in the, in the nation of Israel, so my rituals were right, my race was right, but go on, Paul says, my position was right. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, what is, what's the significance of that? Now, you remember, we know Paul by another name, right? There's another name that we've called Paul. Do you remember that? Saul. Saul was his Hebrew name, Paul. "Paul was the name that he adopted, sort of his Greek name; Saul was his Hebrew name-now, tribe of Benjamin-Saul. It's very likely Saul was named-" After the first king of Israel, whose name was Saul, who was of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Look, if you want to talk about important things in your life, I'll talk about my position. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the tribe of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin and a Hebrew of Hebrews. Interesting phrase used there in the Greek. It's used to talk about excellence, not just a Hebrew. I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. My tradition is right. Every part of my life followed that tradition of the Hebrews. So my rituals are right. My race was right. My position was right. My tradition was right. My spirituality was right. I was a Pharisee. We're talking about the law. Paul says, I kept the law. I followed every aspect of the law. My my traditions were right. My spirituality was right. I was a Pharisee, a keeper of the law. Not only that, my zeal was right as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Jews loved Pharise- Jews loved zeal. Paul says I was sincere. Persecuted the church. It's a common thing in our cultures. They will say something like this. It doesn't really matter what you believe is as long as you're sincere about it. Have you heard that? Paul says, I was sincere, persecuted the church. My rituals were right, my race was right, my position was right, my tradition was right, my spirituality was right, my zeal was right, my morality was right. As to the righteousness of the law, Paul says, I was found blameless. Blameless? Nothing about me. I kept all those laws. I followed every tradition, every practice of our faith, whatever, all of that that was a part of what people thought meant to be a work of the flesh, a, a good person, Paul says. I was that. Strong family heritage, social status, biblical knowledge, religious zeal, moral lifestyle, all good things. Now watch this. It was not bad things that was keeping Paul from Christ. It was good things. I was doing all those things. And they're they're, they're good things. There's nothing wrong with the things that Paul was describing. The problem was... Paul was doing those things for the wrong reason. He was doing those things like so many people today in order to earn favor with God. Paul says, I was doing all those things. It just wasn't enough to bring me to Christ. It's possible to love your family, to have a good reputation, to know the Bible, to take your family to church, to be a good person and not know Jesus. It's possible to have all of these things in your favor and not be in right relationship with Christ. You know what Paul calls all of that? He calls it a lot. All of that, Paul says, was a lot. The world thought it was a gain. If you'd looked at me, Paul says, you'd have thought he's on the right track. He's got everything he needs. Paul says, whatever things were gained to me, he's not He's not denying that those things were gained. They were gained in one sense, but Paul says, I have counted those things a loss. Verse 7, those things were gained, I counted loss. More than that, I count all things loss. Not just the reputation, not just the zeal, not just the family heritage. Paul says, I count all things to be loss.'" in light of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. I love that phrase, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. That is the value that surpasses all other values in life. The value of knowing Christ, Paul says, is greater than any good thing, than any other thing in my life. The surpassing value of knowing Christ is better than everything in my life. I consider all of that as lost, and view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. In fact, Paul uses an even more graphic term than that. More than that. I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. Our English translations typically tone down the word Paul actually used. If you're using an old King James, it uses the word dung. Not a word you typically hear on Sunday mornings. Paul says, that's what, I, that's what I think about all those things, rubbish, meaningless, it's waste, it's worth nothing to me. Paul says, all of those things that I used to think were gain, all those things that I was doing, we're actually lost. Now, be careful here. Paul's not saying doing good things are bad. He just spent a lengthy section we looked at last Sunday describing the good works of two men, and he bragged on him, on those two men, about the good things they were, that they were doing. There's nothing wrong with doing good things, but doing religious things is a bad thing if I'm depending on those religious things for my favor with God. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. You see, the Christian life is not about working harder in hopes to gain God's favor. Paul says, I've reevaluated my life. And all those things that I thought were gain have been turned upside down. All of those things I thought were good. All those things I thought were pleasing for me. I now consider loss so that, and here's the climax of Paul's message, I want you to see the end of this section that Paul is saying, I count all of those things as loss so that... And everything that follows in this section sort of builds on that phrase. I count all of those things, all those good things, all those religious things as loss so that, number one, I might gain Christ. He's using that same validation kind of language. He's talked about loss, and now he's talked about gain. And all those things that I used to think were gain, I now consider loss so that I can gain Christ. The one thing that I want as the highest priority of my life, Paul says, is Christ. Jesus is the priority of my life. I count everything lost that I might gain Christ. Paul's made The determination, the value of his life is Christ. More important than everything else, than everyone else, than anything that Paul might consider or ever pursue is loss in comparison to Christ. Those things were gained. Jesus is more. Those things were good. Those things were popular. Those things captured my attention. Jesus is worth more. He's not dismissing the fact that loss happened. Loss happened in order to gain Christ. All things I worked for are lost. All those things I depended on for my hope are lost. All those things I used to think are important are lost. Watch this. I'm not trying to earn Christ. I'm trying to gain Christ. What I thought was gain, I lost in order to gain Christ. You see, whatever you gain without Christ won't fill you. And whatever you lose in Christ won't empty you. Anything else you gain outside of a relationship with Christ will not be enough. Anything else you might add to your life outside of a relationship with Jesus will never fill you. And in Christ, anything you might lose will never empty you. You can't gain enough without him to make it worth it. Paul says, I'll lose everything as long as I gain him. You see, Paul's saying, I can't hold on to my former lifestyle. I can't hold on to my former ideas. I can't hold on to my former goals or ways and still gain Christ. I had to let those go. I had to give that up because the only gain that matters is knowing Jesus. Jesus told two parables back to back in Matthew chapter 13 that emphasizes the same lesson that Paul is emphasizing here. Matthew chapter 13. Paul has a series. Jesus gives a series of eight parables, and two of them, toward the very end of this section, some of the shortest parables Jesus ever told. In Matthew 13, verse beginning in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over the treasure. He goes and sells everything he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Here's what Jesus was saying. There was a man who was walking through a field and he stumbled over a treasure and he realized that that treasure is more valuable than everything else that I own. He sold everything he had to buy the field, not for the field to get the treasure. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's more valuable than everything you have. That's what Paul's saying. I declare everything in my life to be lost for the surpassing value of gaining Christ. Jesus is the treasure worth losing everything for. Whatever else you are pursuing above Christ is loss. I don't want to come to the end of my life and have loss written over the top. I don't want to come to the end of my life and regret all the things I didn't do, all the things I pursued in place of Christ. He must be our one focus. His message must be our one voice. His glory must be our one hope. It is better to lose our lives for Christ than to waste them for anything else. Paul says, I'll lose everything that I might gain Christ. In this passage, Paul talked about gaining Christ. He was willing to suffer the loss of all things in order to receive Christ in his life. Loss was a vivid reality for Paul. He used to hold a position among the religious elite, but he gave that up to know Christ. He used to have power and authority, but he left that behind to know Christ. He used to pride himself in knowing the rules in a vain attempt to earn God's favor. But he turned from that to find the treasure that only comes in a relationship with Jesus. In a world of vain pursuits, I hope you have found the greatest treasure. You've been listening to a program entitled After God's Heart. The name of the program is taken from a description by God of David in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, and in Acts 13, verse 22 but it is also a goal for every believer. We would love to have the opportunity to share with you more about becoming like Him. If you are ever in the North Texas area, I want to invite you to be our guest at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. We have Sunday school at 9 o'clock for all ages and worship at 1030 in both English and Spanish. We hope to see you anytime you are able at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. Now here's Ed to tell you how you can find out more about our church and a final word.
0: Thanks, Pastor. Sunnyvale First Baptist Church is located at 3018 North Beltline Road, Sunnyvale, Texas. You can go to our website at sunnyvalefbc.com for any and all information about our services and our ministries. Again, thank you for joining us on After God's Heart. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Stay rooted in God's Word and may His grace guide you. Until next time, this is Ed Petty encouraging you to walk in faith, love, and after God's heart. God bless you and have a great day.